This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. I actually died. Yeah, I died in a car accident in Manhattan, working on a on, on a lure company, creating things, and it was raining. Somebody was crossing a highway. I swirled away. I nicked him. He went through the windshield. Thank God he lived. But I died for a few minutes. I saw my life flash. Whatever they say that it, there is a light, there is a light. I saw my mom carrying me. I saw my brother enjoying fishing. There's a flash of life right before you. I saw black, and I literally saw me. I was floating up in the air. I saw my head down. I was gone until suddenly went black. Medic was there. said, I got a pulse. He's alive? I said, hey, guys, what's up? What's happening? He goes, you're alive? And rushed me to the hospital. But I saw, and not to make this metal dramatic, I see life differently. Hi, this is Crazy Alberto Nee here with Tom Rowland's podcast. One of the things about uh, being a professional angler is that you uh, are invited to be on certain pro staffs of companies that you work with. And generally, on those pro staffs are other anglers that are really cool. And St. Croix Rods has a gentleman on their pro staff that I've been wanting to meet for a long time. I've heard so much about this gentleman. His name is Alberto Nee. He goes by crazy Alberto Nee. He is a passionate. When I say passionate, I mean super passionate, so passionate that a lot of people call him crazy. And that's exactly what's going on there. I think that crazy is a word that the lazy use to describe the dedicated. And in this case, Alberto is very dedicated. He is dedicated to pursuing whatever fish it is that is turning his crank at that particular time. He'll do it any time of the day, any time of the night, and he does it with great precision. He's a very interesting guy. I loved this conversation with someone that I now consider my friend, Crazy Alberto Nee. 
what makes me tick and who I am and what got me here and all that other good stuff. That's right. Well, the bottom line is I just love to fish. Uh, since I was a kid, I believe it's my calling. I have given up a lot of things in my life just to be where I am and basically the ability to fish for the rest of my life. How did you start fishing? Uh, since I was a very young kid like everybody else, but the passion got stronger because I knew there were bigger fish to be caught. Where was this? That was, oh God, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> we got plenty of time, <laughs> well, man. <laughs> but the question is basically, how do you start? I was born in Hong Kong, raised in Brazil, and I'm here in the United States. I lived in Manhattan for the long period of time, and uh, now I'm traveling and fishing and doing what I can and just promote fishing the best way I could. So all that moving around, what what caused that? Were your parents in the uh, military or? Well, actually, it, it's, um, I, I'm glad you asked. Uh, my parents uh, originally from Shanghai, and that was an era where the Japan war against China and a lot of ugly things going on, you know, murdering, rape. And I have uh, five sisters and one brother. So it was a very challenging period for my parents. So therefore, they needed to find a refugee. The immediate, my quickest exit was Brazil. And living for Brazil, really realizing my parents gone through some incredible hardship, but more, more like survival, if you will. Uh, and it's not just my family, but that was a very horrifying era mm -hmm. where Japan evaded China and it, you know, it was not good. Yeah, so what's the connection with Brazil? Why was that the easiest way? The easiest way because there was a large Asian community there. Okay. And from there, my parents realized that uh, there's not a whole lot of things going on there. And then we came to the United States. Huh. There's yeah. a, apparently, there's a big Japanese culture in Bolivia as well. Absolutely. Because uh, I was just down there hunting, and we were, we were surrounded by a Mennonite community. And I was very interested in how the Mennonites got there. So I started asking in my best broken Spanish how this happened. But luckily we had a translator. So right. this, the, the, the lodge owner started telling us a story about how the Mennonites got there. And it was through persecution as well. Right. And then he mentioned that, that Japanese came and start, they found that it was a perfect area to grow rice right. as well. Mm -hmm. And so there's a whole band in, I guess, the right latitude mm -hmm. of, of Bolivia. Right. Is that is it's, that during the same time that that happened? It's about the same time. Yes, it is. Wow, yeah. that's amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah. But then, then now, rice is such a a part of the Bolivian culture that the the gentleman that owned the lodge he said we don't call it a meal unless it includes rice. <laughs> so it's become such a staple, right? And I guess they're so good at it, and that land is perfect for it, right? But probably what I saw there for the Mennonite community, anyway. I guess this looks like an alluvial stream bed like mm -hmm. almost like a mississippi river stream bed like mm -hmm. really wide nice like maybe the the thing meandered back and forth and and then i don't know if it disappeared or or went somewhere else or whatever but there's this great flat area mm. that's heavily wooded okay and i guess these mennonites got this land somehow acquired it i'm gonna do more research on it i don't right. know much about it i was fascinated by it though because they come in there and they cut everything and make fields out of this the right. biggest fields that i've seen outside of the midwest of the united states that's amazing actually yeah and and i'm thinking that they probably started doing it just by hand that doesn't surprise me that's uh that's an interesting era yeah you know a lot of manual work and so forth yeah, yeah and so now they got it going they grow soybeans uh corn sunflowers there were all kinds of crops down there but the pigeons that we were 
we were hunting mm-hmm. are responsible for eating 70% of the crops. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, they invite the hunting, they want right. the hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything that we got went back to the, to the Mennonite community mm-hmm. where we were hunting in. So right. they picked up every bird and then they delivered them to the Mennonite community. Well, the, question or the, is, the question is, what did they do with the feathers? How about mm-hmm. tying? Yeah, you might need some feathers. Well, Absolutely. There was plenty of feathers and there were, there were um, some really interesting ducks. They had, they had a, uh, a teal. A, huh. a Brazilian teal, actually, wow. is what it was called. Beautiful little bird. Mm-hmm. And it uh, looked very similar to our, our blue wing and green wing teal. Mm-hmm. But it had some great feathers. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, as a kid, you start you start fishing in Hong Kong? Uh, actually, uh, when I was one, uh, that's when all that horrifying thing started. Uh, my parents took us to Brazil at one. So, I, um, I could fairly say that I was the young kid uh, walking barefoot in the jungles of Brazil, handlining. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember what you were catching? Like, what was the, what was the fish that, like the bluegill of the... the well, of the, the tilapia. Yeah. I you know, caught a lot of tilapias, and I went to Santos and then Rio, uh, catching sardinas and all kinds of exotics. At that, that time, you were just, as a, you know, like every young kid, you know, just fascinated by the fish. Yeah. You know, and then you certainly enjoy the fishing and you want to catch more and then you want be selective then you're going to go for bigger fish and then you enter tournaments and all that other good stuff and the the craziness starts there yeah and so was your family fishing like all your no. you said you had brothers and sisters How yeah many, I, had, big family? I had five sisters and one brother so my brother and i his name is roberto and um and uh, if you know, it's just I have Cecilia, Angela, uh, Marta, you know, those are the names that we have. And then you kind of look strange at me and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, wait a minute, this Asian guy with a Spanish name, you know. Well, but, you kind of say Roberto with a Spanish yeah. accent. Well, it's Roberto. Roberto. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, my brother and I fished a lot. You know, we we're always competing. And as you know, a lot of kids and siblings sort of challenge each other. How and, close in age are you? Uh, a year apart. Okay. Yeah, that's he, about my. That's about how my boys are. Yeah, and that's amazing though. It, it, it's 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 the passion. You know, it can be kind of ugly. My fish is bigger than yours. Blah 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 blah. But that's what kept us going. And uh, he loves freshwater. And I kind of uh, move on to multi-species. He lives in New York still, so mm. I visit him often. And he just he just locked in this freshwater. Loves largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, pike, and blah 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 blah. And I follow him throughout. And we travel great places. And then um, I decided to get more deeper into fishing and chasing big fish and going after world record fish and all that. Hmm. Yeah. So when when does that start? I mean, you're you're a kid, you're growing up, you're in the jungle, and then there is there like a a, a time when you think, well, have you do you, what do you what did you do for a living when you got out of high school and and. From high school, well, I graduated from School of Visual Arts, which is a uh, a school for advertising, uh, marketing, and design. Uh, I, after graduating, and I also did a lot of freelance for gray advertising and so forth, mm-hmm. one of the in Manhattan, then I was hired the youngest art director in the broadcasting industry. Worked there for 13 years and came to a point, I mean, won a lot of awards, Emmy and all that other, but it never really excited for me. For what company? For WPIX Tribune. Okay. Yeah. And uh, went through the whole uh, analog period to the digital phases and advertising and uh, downsizing and so forth. And I had a pretty uh, ugly job where I had to uh, uh, cut my staff. Mm. And uh, I did not like that corporate world at all. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be... I've 
I've had the opportunity or had to have the opportunity to do that a couple times hmm. to fire someone. Yeah. Really hard. Well, it's it's more difficult, especially, you know, the workers are doing their best and they're good. And when a corporation decides to cut back for the sake of numbers, then then the question is, you know, the company loves loyalty, but then where's the reciprocation? Yeah. And that hurt. Yeah. And having to fire friends because workers uh, were very good friends of mine. And, you know, I have a wonderful saying, you know, you treat people the way you want to be treated, you know, and with full respect and honor, if you will. And that's something that I felt uncomfortable uh, when you give so much to the company and the company does not appreciate. So therefore, I did my job. Uh, I increased productivity 100% from the analog to the digital. Uh, then they said, well, we got places for you to move on, move to Chicago. And uh, we had a party at the, the, the Hyatt penthouse. And the CEO and the chairman said, Alberto, we'd like to talk to you. And they said, uh, we want you to move to Chicago. And I said, well, I don't think you understand. I fish. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, we'll give you an offer that you cannot refuse. So uh, at that time when I was married, I told my wife, I said, look, you know, I'm going to give up this job. I'm going to fulfill my, my quest. And I basically feel that it is my calling because I just love to fish. So at this, when you, when you think about your calling at that point in your life, it was to teach fishing or to be a fishing guide or to pursue a world record or what was it? I've been asked to be a guide and I, I have too much appreciation for guides because it, it, it's a, I don't want to say forceful, but it's something that you feel passionate. Uh, I, I took the high role in my perspective because I just want people to have the full experience, the joy, the smile, kids, you, you know, when yeah. you see somebody's eyes just widens up to the fullest, their teeth, their ear to ear. It's something about that. And that's it's the, the purest form of enjoying fishing. And it's not about the money. It's about sharing the experience. Yeah. So that seems like you would be the world's best fishing guide. But you don't seem to like being a guide. Um, I don't want to be a guide. I, because it, it's, um, there's a lot of expectations, if you will. Uh, rightly so, but I like to take people fishing to maximize their dream fish. Hmm. Uh, it, it almost boils down to uh, where I could sarcastically say, how would you like to catch your personal best or your, your dream fish? Come join me for one day and I'll make that happen. Really? But given the fact that I've been fishing all my life, understanding tides and moon phases and patterns of migrations and structural and everything else, um, and predominantly land-based. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, no, no high technology. I mean, I use the best equipment possible. And I want them to experience the big fish, the magical fish, catching the exotics, catching, you know, the slam, the personal slam. That for me is my challenge. It's a personal challenge and I want them. And knowing the fact that I could actually make someone happy about it. And certainly I, I do a lot of extreme fishing. I'm, a, I'm considered an ex extreme angler. And the cost to them would be um, a cup of coffee. But it's not for me. It's for them because they're going to be working out all night. For yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk to you about that because your nickname is right. Crazy Alberto. Right. Right. And so we have some mutual friends. Lloyd Walters is oh, one boy. of them. Oh, I love the guy. And yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. And he's like, 
You gotta well, you gotta meet Alberto. You don't know Alberto? Like you gotta meet him. Like, how do you guys not know each other? The guy is an animal. Like you you gotta meet him. Like you have this reputation of well, crazy follows you right. around, right? right? Really? Do mm-hmm. you consider that a compliment that you're crazy, uh, Alberto? Ironically enough, you, you know, people kept them calling me crazy. It's like, oh, this guy's crazy. Uh, you, you know, and you, you take the word for his purest form. Crazy is not a good word. Okay. But uh, it, it's a it's a way of saying how passionate, possessive I am about fishing, how crazy I am about fishing. Because all I can think, like many avid anglers, you know, eat, drink, sleep, and fish. If not, just be a fish head, fish, mm-hmm. fish, fish. Even when you were in meetings, uh, in my corporate meetings, I was I would work around you know <laughs> around my tides <laughs> yeah <laughs> or when the season is on i would take my vacation nobody and shut the phone off and everything else and just fish and chase out the big fish yeah yeah but so yeah it has so he been... told you what made you decide to talk to me come on well i i I'm interested in anyone's story. If somebody says they're a beast and an animal and and they love to fish, I want to talk to them because I, I like to know what people what, what makes people tick. Like Good if question. somebody is if somebody is that passionate about it, usually there's an interesting story behind it, and and then I find it very interesting how that manifests in their life. Because like for instance, for me, I became focused on the guiding part, right? And I got to fish some, and and you know. I have some good angling accomplishments of my own, right. but I had what one thing, a theme that continues to pop up because I, I interview a lot of anglers. I interview a lot of guides. I interview a lot of people that are just in the outdoors in different areas. Right. And one theme that comes up is that if you want to be a guide, you don't fish. Like it's a, guiding to me is an art form. And I take it extremely seriously. And I don't think there's a place necessarily. I mean, when I was guiding full-time, I didn't think that there was a place for a part-time guide that was a bartender. Now, I'm hurting a lot of people's feelings right Right. now. But Mm -hmm. I always thought that it's an honorable profession. It's, And when I say it's an honorable profession, I mean that people wait and save up money for an entire year to come to see you they their time is incredibly valuable. Sometimes their time is far more valuable than their money. Absolutely. Like with these CEOs and their their CEOs of multi billion dollar corporations, they don't care how much it costs. Right. But they're giving you twelve hours of their time, or a week of their time, which other people in their industry would kill for. Right. And it's you and him on the boat or her. To me, I always just thought, man, I owe it to this person to give them my 100% best, which means that I was out here two weeks ago looking at these tides, and I was right. out here two weeks before that looking at these tides, right. and I was out here yesterday looking at these this weather and the wind and what's going on, and I don't have a plan A and B. I have a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Absolutely, yeah. And you know what? Even if we can't even get out on the water, I got a plan Z where we could go and catch some little tiny micro tarpon next to the boat ramp. I'm so glad that you actually brought that up because uh, I know what is involved as what you just said. And uh, unbeknown to many people, you know, this, oh, this guy gets to get fish. He's a guide. He fishes all the time and having good time. The, the, that process, what you just said, the, the, the knowledge, the background work, uh, the untold story about how much effort they put in Mm-hmm. For a really good guy. For a good guy, yeah. yeah. And and 
And it all boils down to, you know, the guys say, well, you know, I mean, yeah, yes, they're spending, you know, valuable personal time, money, the dream, you know, to fish with the individual and so forth. So guides actually take that for consideration. And a lot of people don't see it that way. Yeah, some people don't. But I, what I find interesting is like with people like yourself, you, you kind of told me the other day, I'm not really that interested in guiding. I like to take people fishing, but I'm not really interested in taking people guiding. There's other people that get so passionate about angling right. that the idea of giving that to someone else is sacrilege. Mm-hmm. Like they will be the angler, right. but they're never going to be the guide. No. And then there's other people that decide that they want to be a guide because that's the only way that they can see to make a living right. fishing. Mm-hmm. And they're on the back of the boat wishing they were on the front of the boat. And that just right. results in somebody that's kind of frustrated if mm-hmm. they don't ever take ownership of the fact that guiding in itself is a is an art form. Oh, yeah. Oh, my and God. And when you're guiding, you should be guiding. And when you're fishing, that's a whole different thing. Well, it, it, you, you fish for two reasons uh, as a guide, if you will. Uh, the way I see it is um, they'll fish because they have this passion to fish. And the other alternative is to fish to find your customer's fish. Mm-hmm. And that people don't get. A lot of times when I want to take good friends and, you know, my sponsors on a, on a good bite, I know that fish is there, but I better not catch that fish. Yeah, right, right. You know, and that fish belongs to someone. Well, he has a name. And that's the yeah. same kind of thing that would go on uh, even at a, at a higher degree yeah. of uh, the tournament fishing. Oh, with that, oh my pre-fishing. God. Oh. You're pre-fishing for the tournament. You find the fish and now it's like, Okay, now I got to slip out of here as quietly as possible so that fish never even knew I was here, but I Absolutely. know he's there. You're the hunter. Right. You know, and, and I've entered many tournaments, one, fortunately, and I've lost many. You know, it's all part of the experience, and, you know, um, I get it. And the and, and tournaments, the pressure is on 24-7 and then some. Mm-hmm. Even if you're in the bathroom, you're thinking about where I should be fishing, you're taking the next bite or even, you know, lick of your ice cream. It's like, hmm, you know, this is sweet. Where's the cooler part of the water? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's just insane. I, I, I mean, that's me. I mean, that's the way yeah. I think. And I'm sure other avid anglers will do the same. So sometimes you hear that crazy is a word that the lazy use to describe the dedicated. Right. Does that fit your life? Are you crazy or are you dedicated? I am incredibly calculating. Mm. Calculating. And, and also, you could be careful how you say the calculation because uh, it, it, could, it has a negative uh, connotation, if you will. But uh, calculating the fact that I love to fish and I'm always thinking about catching the next fish. Crazy because they don't understand how passionate I am about fishing. They don't understand. I'm very, very sensitive to our water quality. And I don't want to sound like world peace or anything like that, <laughs> but uh, I care about that. I care about uh, uh, a strong fishery that has been overly harvested. Uh, for example, like the striped bass, the Northeast Coast striped bass. You know, I live in the era before the moratorium. There was a major depletion, decline of that fishery. Eight years moratorium. I was part of the tagging, releasing, and I still remember I spoke to one. I fished next to a gentleman, Alvy Story. Yeah. Huge, huge, huge uh, fan of his work because he believes in conservation. And he and I have gone way back, and I believe in uh, like 81. And before the fishery closed, we fished the Hudson River 
uh, I believe it was Wednesday, middle of the night in Manhattan. All right. Pier 17. Uh, and he picked up the last fish, took the scale sample. And he goes, oh, my God, we have to shut the fishery down. Hmm. What did he say in the scale sample that... It was just, it was, it was weak, it was like foamy and, and something about the water quality. And also it was overly harvested. Hmm. So it would close down to an eight year moratorium. Then in the nineties, we had a wonderful uh, rebound. And now sadly to say the fishery is almost over harvested. Hmm. So yeah. let's go back to that first part. The, um, because I don't, I don't really know that much about striped bass and so many people that listen to this show uh, are focused on South Florida and maybe right. they do a little bit. I mean, we have certainly plenty of people that like to catch striped bass, mm -hmm. but the over-harvesting is purely commercial and is that, or is that recreational too? A party of two, uh, uh, you know, both parties. Okay, and so what kind of, of boats are are overfishing the striped bass in those the days? The party boats. I mean, Oh, really? Uh, oh, yes. Well, like but not, I, I am not going to finger point at one user group alone. Because if you really think about it, um, today's world, uh, technology, social media, more and more people are going back to fishing and there are more recreational fishing, bar none, to the party boaters uh, and even charter guys. So um, it, you have to be very, uh, at least I'm very careful to, to finger point at, I think we're all responsible for over-harvesting. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times, you know, you'll have, you'll have one method that is just, too effective, like a purse sane or, oh you know, something like that to where, or, or like it was gill nets, you know, for the mullet and it was, right. it was, uh, or the mullet nets and then there was the gill netting and then, you know, maybe you have uh, a purse sane or some foreign vessel coming in that is processing the fish on the boat and it, it just proves to be far too effective of a manner of fishing that for that particular population of fish to withstand. Yes. So was there anything like that or was yes. it just like a culmination of just... A combination of everything, combination of certainly the, the commercial entity, the water, and then uh, just the environment is not that good also, uh, but over-harvesting in multifashion, commercial, charter, party boats, and recreational. Hmm. That is the, the love child fish for the Northeast Coast. It is literally, it's just as equal as important as we would fish here for the snook, if you will. Everybody loves the redfish, and certainly we all want our, you know, silver king. Mm -hmm. That part, and, and we all know, you know, I fish because I moved 10 years ago here in Florida. Doesn't mean I don't know anything about Florida, because every time I was in New York, I would fly into Florida for a weekend and fish everywhere. Hmm. On foot? On foot. Really? Yeah. And so, how did you acquire that knowledge to begin with? Because um, 10 years ago, it's a big, I mean, 20 years ago, there's no internet. That knowledge is difficult to acquire. Well, I log. I keep okay. an extensive log. I've been logging for literally... Do you remember the first trip that you brought, that you came to Florida? Isla Morada. Yes, I do. Isla Morada. And I remember there was only one building... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Captain Mick, uh, the bounty hunter, I believe, that's mm. going way back. Uh, we connected, but I I wanted to fish the bridges mm. at night. And my God, there were kuberas, people you know from from land yeah. uh, at nighttime using paddle tails, tarpon, jumping char tarpon. But how can you not be going to the Keys without fishing with a guide? You yeah. got to. Yeah, 
you know, they, 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 you know, it, you learn the, the fundamentals of where he stage, and then you find a fish highway. You calculate the tides. It's this wonderful puzzle. It's 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 a puzzle, as you know, you know, and and based of all my logging experience, and I, and I dissected from catching a lot of fish to bigger fish, and I noticed big fish does have common denominations, common equal like tides. Moons. You think that's true over multiple different species, or oh, you see that? Down. I've caught tremendous world record striped bass. I've caught big uh, rooster fish in uh, Cabo San Lucas. I went to Panama. I went to Costa Rica. But you think? But, but that... they all have the same. Uh, you know, there's a magical window, if you will. Hmm. What is that? What I find, and obviously depending on the species, but it's a certain part of the tide that they feed on. Mm-hmm. Big fish didn't get big for being stupid. <laughs> you know, they gotten calculating and, you know, when you actually try to figure out where is dinner time. Human have, as you well know, human have a, a common, oh, breakfast anywhere from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, lunch is anywhere from 12 to 1, and you have dinner and supper from 6 to 8. Fish has a bite. They have a, a you know, uh, it's like tide. They all based on tides near a slack water face where a lot of people don't believe in that, but you're going to catch the biggest of the biggest near that slack water. Near slack water. Near slack water. That, that defies a lot of people. Mm-hmm. If you want a lot of fish, you got to catch probably on the second part of the tide. Okay, moving water, but the bigger fish don't like to compete. They just like, there's either they're loners or, you know, they feed on a very selective window and they look for easy meal. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And you, you, and in all of your logs, you see that that crosses multiple species. I mean, yes. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I think it's just interesting that you've made that correlation and you're, you're talking about that correlation from all the way in New York to the Florida Keys over to Mexico yeah. and all these different species that are all doing something yeah. similar. Yeah. And it works. So what do you and, think and about? I, and, and funny is, you know, and I can see, uh, you know, particularly now in the social media world, you know, it, it's a very cynical world, if you will, yeah. because you have the lovers and the haters, and the more success that you have, the more haters that you get, you know. But then, you know, as long as you stay true to yourself and 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 be honest to people, certainly you're not going to spot burn because especially, especially you know, right. you're going to tell the person where you fish, but but people don't realize the fun is in the hunt. Is and catching is a confirmation, a validation of your work, you know. And people just want nowadays. I just, where do you catch that fish? Give me these spots, or uh, they don't believe it, or they try to egg you in, and this is all oh, that's Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you? Um, you're pretty active on social media. I try to be. I mean, I, I try to. Uh, all my posts, it, it, it's not. Uh, it's not a me, me, me. It's more like I give you a little hint. There's always a little golden little rule that I put in there. To, for you to become a better fisherman. Hmm. Yeah. And that's on your own Alberto knee? Yeah. Crazy Alberto knee. What, about, what yeah. about um tactical anglers? Is Uh-oh, that you, you did have it. Something? Oh, wait, 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 wait. You, how do you know about that? I just don't I know things. It's my job to know things. <laughs> Tell me what that is. I don't tactical, know. Is that competitive? Is that you? Is that some what is it? Okay, tactical angler, uh this is how it enables me to fish. Uh it's a product that I created. It has power clips. It has walk-the-dog features, lures, um, daughters to catch big fish. And the key thing is, you know, when you're fishing all your life and you're using specific lures, but you just wished it had a little more extra features, Hmm. 
you know, certainly uh, if you look at any of our lures, we have, a, it's through wired. Through wired in essence, you know, there's no excuse. It's, it's, the fish is not going to pull off the, the, you know, and then get away. It's, it's through wire. It's got internal rattling system. It's got weight distribution. You've got a gill plated section on the side of the lure, okay, because it just pushes water. Because when you're working the lure, lure a, a wary fish will tend to just, okay, the big fish will look at it. Something needs to trigger that bite. Either you pause it, you twitch it, or you just work it. Well, with the gills does have a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. Because if you look in the slow, slow motion, when you push the lure, when you look at some curls, world, you know, it, it provides that. And then it's got to look good. And the most important part is I actually support most of the mom and pop shops. Hmm. And the price point, yes. And people say, well, it's made in China. I, and, and I always get that, well, well, Alberto, you know, it's made in China. I don't support it. I said, you have to understand that Tactical Anglet is an American company. Okay. And the savings goes back to the mom and pop shop. Hmm. We provide the highest return profit margin, bar none, to any products out there. And it goes back because I know a lot of shops, there's a lot of competitiveness. There's social media, direct sales. You have the Amazon, blah, 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 blah. The life bread of fishing, the, 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 you know, are those mom and pop shops. They're the one who actually tells you what's happening. They'll tell you, you know, uh, what's good. And there's greatness in big shops, but you can never get localism. And that's important because I grew up, you know, with those mom and pop shops giving me a little tip here and there. Mm -hmm. I hate to see them go. I hate to see them lose. It's a tough battle. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that it's inevitable? They need to diversify. They need to diversify. Those who doesn't, will not survive because it's inevitable that the online stores will take over. They have to have the niche. The niche is that personal touch. Hmm. The person can actually talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, right. show it to you how to do a knot and all that good stuff. Yeah. It seems like that's one of the, one of the businesses that could make it because you really need, you really need um, instruction, mentorship in fishing. Oh yeah. You need to go to the tackle shop and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't catch anything. Yeah. And not, not only that, uh, um, you know, you, you read about products, you see it online. You know, I am a fisherman and I, it, it has a lot to do with the few in touch and play around and dissect the reel. You know, I'm that crazy fool that will look at a reel. I will open it and, and break down the gears. I need to see how strong it is because when you're trophy hunting, you know, there's no excuse. Mm -hmm. The only is you're as good as your last big fish that you catch. <laughs> yeah. And so you're, you're super analytical. Yeah. Try in everything that you do. Well, um, I think it's because of my dad. Yeah? yeah. Well, how did he influence well, you that way? He influenced me because he, he showed me what is hard work and it's not luck. He showed me when he actually had to five girls and two boys and, uh, Move the family around. He showed me the dedication, the commitment. There were definitely hard times, and I've watched them. And he even opened from a little tiny store in Manhattan to a uh, Manhattan Art and Antique, a big uh, Asian, you now Ming Dynasty bowls, and had a small business that was very uh, did very very well. And uh, but the trials that he had to go through to reach that point. It's almost like saying, don't give up and you got to believe in yourself because people are relying on you. And I've watched and 
you look at your, I looked at my dad and, and he didn't have to say a word, but I know there was hardship in there. And I learned that from him. Is your dad still around? No, he passed away. And you've taken those lessons that you've learned and, and applied them not only to your life, but to your fishing? Yeah. And there's other things that happened to me that I see life differently. This is it's kind of very personal. Yeah, but I can um, tell. Yeah. It's moving for you. Um, how does fishing help you to... Uh, I mean, obviously, everybody's got to have some sort of an outlet for those, <laughs> those type of, of, of feelings. And yeah. How does fishing fill that for you? Well, let me just put it this way. Growing up in Manhattan is the Spanish Harlem, Delancey Street. When you have a young Asian kid in that environment that doesn't speak English, directly from Brazil, and the, your, your translator speaks Spanish and I speak Portuguese. So that was a, 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 an issue. And that was the era where there were a lot of gangs killing. And it's not a, that's Manhattan, that's Lower East Side. I grew up in that environment. Mm. And fishing was my outlet. Get wow. away from all that, yeah. How available was it? I mean, I don't really know that area very well, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of water there. Are you kidding but, me? I, mean, I don't know. I mean, is you it have easy the East to be River. In? You have the East River. You, you can go fishing River. in the East River right uh, there. Yeah, was... yeah. There was, uh, yeah. It's right next. It, it's it's right next to Long Island. So New you York could City just Island. walk there, or what? I, where I lived, yeah, I could have walked there. And what would you with, catch there? Striped bass. There were blackfish. There was flounder. There was fluke. There was yeah. There was all that. So you have that and. You're in this difficult environment, and that's your escape. That was my escape. And was it also your brother's and sister's escape, or did uh, they? And find my brother-in-law, his name is Dominic. Um, he actually knew that you know, a kid of that age, being around fourteen, fifteen, is a very sensitive period. So staying away from the gangs, and there was a Chinese gangs, you know, they called it the ghosts, uh, the gangs of ghosts, and they were bad. And they were always trying to get you in there. And fishing was honestly my escape. Hmm. All my friends, some of them died because of, of gang and all that. And when you were going fishing, you could just, you just didn't have to be part of that because no. otherwise you'd be hanging around on the, on the front stoop or whatever. Absolutely. And you're ultimately yeah. going to get yeah. sucked into the gangs. Yeah. Sucked into the gangs and drugs and all that. I don't do any of that crap. Yeah. Excuse me, but yeah. So is that where this night fishing starts? Uh, the night fishing is starts where I could get away and I could fulfill my family duties, if you will. And it's the, it's the drive. And I know big fish do feed at night and you don't run into people. Right. So, but, but at this time in your life, you're working all day and fishing all night? Yeah. <laughs> so there's where the crazy Alberto yeah. comes from. I mean, uh, for example... Um, <laughs> I could fish a party boat. I could go down the charter with friends. And then uh, my friend was just, all right, I'm going to go get some sleep. I said, what's that? I think <laughs> sleep is a little bit overrated, isn't it? You know, and it, 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 and if I told you, I mean, Tom, come on. Uh, where I live, I live in the town of Estero. And certain fish, you know, if you tune into certain species, like for example, like big bull reds, mm -hmm. you know, Florida is a big state, of course. And, uh, but there's certain demographical areas where you know where these fish are. Uh, I will fish there late at night. You don't need to see me. I'm just there, and I'll fish that magical tide, literally. So technically, hypothetically, if you will, um, it takes. I will put a seven-hour round-trip drive for a half-an-hour window. <laughs> 
I will do that. And then you see pictures of me with peacock bass, clown knife fish, snake heads. Those were my pit stops, my rest stops. Some people like to rest, take a power nap, my rest, and it keeps my drive going. Sometimes I'll drink my coffee or my head just keep on spinning. Okay, I know where this snake head's going to be. I know what the clown knife is going to be, what's the best tide and so forth. I mean, not tide, but, you know, conditions and so forth. And I that kept, that kept me awake. And that's what I do. <laughs> I know. Now you begin to say, man, this guy's crazy. No, I don't think you're crazy. <laughs> I just think that when I end up ultimately going fishing with you, I feel like I'm going to have to wear my black pajamas and my ninja costume. Oh, absolutely. And, <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to be on some co covert mission that's going to resemble resemble more like the Navy SEALs than, than the traditional <laughs> fishing trip. You know, uh, when, when you, it, it's an experience because, you know, this, you know I, I know what it's like because, my drive is catching exotic fish or, 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 or bucket list fish, you know. There is nothing more exciting to watch a friend catch their bucket list fish. Mm. Nothing. That is absolutely, in my mind, is priceless. Just my, if you go check my, my Facebook, check my Instagram. Yeah. I, just, I, I just started Instagram no more than two years ago. You know, I'm, I'm, and and if, you, if you notice, you know, I don't say who I am. I just put crazy Alberto. Mm -hmm. That's it. And if you know me, you know me. Um, and I don't have to tell you that uh, I belong uh, part of, you know, some of great sponsors. And I'm very glad and very fortunate, for example, St. Croix Rods, you know, uh, phenomenal company, mm -hmm. uh, great family, if you will. That's the environment that I like and I love their product. Penn, I deal with the pure fishing folks, you know, they've been very uh, good to me and, and I support but overall is catching, you know, helping people catching their bucket list. That's, that's exciting. And, and I, my drive is to want to catch those fish in different kind of conditions. Mm. And, you know, success, you know, equates to multiple failure. And the failure is the hunt. As we all know, these are the big trophy hunts. And trophy hunt, is, they don't come easy. But I'm trying to make it as easy, finite a window, and show a friend that it can be done. Yeah. Well, I have a trophy or uh, not a trophy. I have a bucket list fish that I want you to help me with. And that's the, that's the clown knife you fish. You kind of tell me that. Yeah. yeah well, I, I was telling that. you about it before, but, and, and I don't know if I've ever told the story on this podcast, but when I was probably, maybe I could have even been 17 and maybe 18. Uh, I used to have 55 gallon aquariums. And when I say aquariums, plural, right. I, I, I had, picked up on that. I had many. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I'd find one at a garage sale or whatever. Right. And I'd, I'd be like, well, I'll, I'll keep bluegill in there, you know, and whatever I would catch. So right. I'd catch bluegill and largemouth bass and smallmouth bass. They were a little problematic and needed to keep the water a little cooler than, than I could just in room temperature. Mm -hmm. They didn't do as well. But I had a red eye bass that I kept for years and years. And that's from when I was. Wow. Uh, well, yeah, it was the red eye bass. I call it a red eye bass. It's probably a warmouth is yes, what it, what it actually mm -hmm. was. Yeah. Because the red bass, eye yeah. bass mm -hmm. uh, properly is only available right around Birmingham, Alabama. And really, and, yeah, if you and 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 it's great fish to fish for. My friend Rob Rogers is an expert there. Right, it's good fish to go for world records because it's only available right there and it's in the record book it's right. a red eye bass and it's wow. available right there mm -hmm. just in this small band of alabama and mm -hmm. maybe it's available in other, a couple other places but that's the that's the epicenter so it wasn't that that i had in my tank it was more like 
It's more like a war mouth. It's like this. That's big. a big war mouth. Yeah, and that is. Come on, you're lo- you're looking at it. Well, maybe there. and and and, yeah. and possibly I could be. We called them red eyes. Right. It was kind of like a look like a cross between a uh, a bluegill and a bass, kind of short stubby. You sure? Fish you sure it's like not this. a rock bass? Could be. Yeah. Could be rock bass. Right. I, but we didn't catch a lot of them. Right. But I would mm-hmm. catch a few down at. Um, at the the Tennessee River, where I would fish as a kid, mm-hmm. I'd go down to this dock and fish there by myself all the time. And I would catch these fish. And so one time I put one in a bucket, brought it home, threw it mm-hmm. in my aquarium. And it made it. And I'm talking, this is when I was like eight or nine years old. Right. And then I had this this thing in my, I didn't even know what it was called. We called it a red eye. But then right. later in my life, I understand that that's not what it was. But anyway, that lived for a long time. And I learned a lot about fishing from that fish because I would feed that fish worms. Right. I would feed it grasshoppers. I would right. feed it crappie minnows that I would mm-hmm. get at the bait store. Mm-hmm. I would feed it crawfish that my dad and I would go catch in this. It, right. we, we, I, he showed me how to use a crawfish trap. My God, and, you could learn so much just watching yeah, them. Yeah. And and so I, I, I still, like when I drive over this one little creek, I tell my kids, I'm like, me and my dad used to, used to catch minnows in that, in a minnow trap. And take them home to my fish, mm-hmm. and and that was fun. And then we had uh, like a crawfish trap, and so I saw the fish eating crawfish. And really thinking about it, like watching that fish in that aquarium and feeding it, and having having this opportunity to experiment with it. Oh, look, he doesn't even really like worms. Like, why are we? <laughs> hey, look, he likes this other thing. This right. crawfish. You throw a crawfish in there, and he kills it. Nice. Should be fishing with crawfish, mm-hmm. like. Okay, so you're learning a little bit more and your brain's turning and you just sit there and just stare at that fish. But I had, so, you know, I would have that kind of fish there and then I'd find another aquarium, maybe a 20-gallon or a 30-gallon or whatever. My room was full of them. And uh, (laughs) and my parents were very uh, nice about it. Um, And so eventually I got this other one. I painted the black. uh, I painted the back of it black so that it, it looked like a, like a, dark environment right, right, right. it had like i had like uh you know like some driftwood in there and stuff nice. like that mm-hmm. and so i found these oscars and they were probably like this when i got them and right. then they got bigger right. and uh they stayed in there for a long time and i was going back and i saw this crazy little fish and uh, it definitely wasn't the size of my hand when i got it mm-hmm. it was smaller and it was a knife fish right I'd never seen one before. I had no idea where it came from. It looked weird and cool, and it swam backwards, and it right. did all this yes. cool stuff. Yes. And so I had that in a 55-gallon aquarium, and it must, I must have kept it for many, many, many years until I was in college. Right. And the thing kept growing and growing and growing until it was too big for the tank. Right. Then I'd get a bigger tank, and then you know it kept growing. And I was fascinated by that fish. And... I ended up losing it probably to old age, just right. didn't mm-hmm. make it. And uh, don't think about that for a long time. And then on Instagram, I start <laughs> seeing these knife fish, and yes. I'm like, that's it. That's the fish. That's right. I, you know, with the tire track kind of spots on the back and everything. And so I became fascinated with wanting to catch one of those. And you're the man. How did I find out about clown knife fish? Yeah. Uh, same thing in the uh, internet. I see somebody holding a clown. I was like, hmm, very much like you. I was like, wow, that is exciting. Yeah. That is an exotic. Then I did a lot of research, the origin of it and so forth, and what they feed and habitat, how did they get there and so forth. And as you were saying earlier, you know, there's a certain, uh, uh, if you're looking for a record, if you will, here in Florida, 
and I'll tell you, it, it, if you if you do a research, anything in, in social media, it's it's Lake Ida. It's no surprise. Uh, I, ironically enough, there's uh, that lake is connected to a lot of canals. Hmm. Uh, there's another lake lower part of, of uh, near Miami, uh, but I'm still studying that place. But it, it, it's kind of a little private uh, area. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the uh, Lake Ida tends to be holding some of the biggest of the biggest clown knife. How'd they get there? Um, like someone like you who flush said, it my God. Tent, flush it down there. Or uh, this is, I can't control this fish anymore. Release a few of them and voila, we have a wonderful fishery. <laughs> wow. It's amazing what you know, warm the, water year round will do yeah. for, a, for a, a, a prolific, probably in its own environments, probably probably spawns, you know. Yes. Well, they do a sponsor. It's, you know, something about Florida water, you know, it's like the stripe, uh, the, the largemouth bass, you know, the uh, the uh, Floridian strains, far more different than the northern largemouth right. bass. And you know, also, same thing with the spotted bass. So it's, um, but your fascination about catching a clown knife, I get it. Mm-hmm. I know it. it, it it's, I have that drive and, and I wanted to know everything about that fish. Hmm. Everything. Did a lot of research, its origin, what to eat and so forth. And I've missed two on artificial, but the best bet is more likely use a small minnow. Yeah. Well, that's what, uh, like I say, I fed it crappie minnows and mm-hmm. I would go to the bait store and get two dozen of them yeah. and they would eat them until they were, yes. pulled, I mean, they were sticking out of his gills, some were coming out of his mouth. They would eat them. Like it would eat them. All. <laughs> it ate them really well. And not only that, I mean, Tom. I mean, the way this, I mean, people say, "Well, come on, do this fish fight." You know, come on, seriously. So, for my, if if I were to describe the fight, uh, and mind you, you're on a light tackle, okay? Uh, they'll jump like a tarpon. Mm. They'll tug. They will tug like a, a grouper. Mm. And when you try to net them or land them. They swim backwards, as as you could tell the tale. So yeah. it looks like a flounder or, in, in, you know, like fluke fishing in the Northeast Coast. And it's not easy. Yeah. But it is exciting as hell. But guess what? It's work. Yeah. It's a waiting, you know, uh, I like to think sometimes it's like musky fishing. Okay. Musky fishing, 10,000 casts to one. Hmm. All right. I call it the unicorn for a very good reason. They're unicorn. They're not around. So when I would say, hey, I got a unicorn, it was like, what the hell is he talking about? It's, well, if you follow me, a unicorn is a clown eye fish. Sometimes there are places you could see, uh, now you're going to freak you out, hundreds of them rolling. Wow. Because they, they're air breathing a fish. They'll mm-hmm. come up, but when you see a lot of that happening, the chances of you landing one is not very good. The times when you know they're there and they're not doing that, hold on, because she's going to get it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you know where they come from? Like, where do they live? Like, where's the, there's got to be a place where clown knives are like bluegill. Asia. Asia. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's and, go to and, Asia and, and well, fish for them there. Well, well, world record, let's let's talk about, you know, IGFA record on, on clown knife fish. Would you know that it come from Lake Ida? I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, probably this is a warmer environment where they can grow year round and probably that's there, you know, wherever they're from, there isn't a, a shad population or whatever's in Lake Ida. Right. And there, these things are going to reach record size. Right. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. Well, I, I really want to do it. Oh, we don't, well, we, we're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I, 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 I can dress in all black if we need to. Okay. What about the people that, that live around Lake Ida? Do they, 
I mean, they're just living in this placid little lake and everything's fine. And then all these freaking weird, crazy people are just trying to get in there and catch this weird fish. Or how does that work? Uh, lake Ida is known for largemouth bass. And, oh, so they're coming and there anyway. And also go for peacock bass. Okay. Yeah. I just revealed something that a lot of people don't know about. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's not that big a secret. Yeah. Most people are just interested in the... In, in in the story more than they are the spot. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I already knew Lake Ida because right. I just have done a, a small amount of research on these things. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that'd be a cool place to go. I yeah. should just go there. And there's a number of fishing guys well, that have reached out to me about that place. And, I, I mean, I'll go. But I, the way that you fish sounds like it's right up my alley. Here's, mm-hmm. a, here's a question sure. that somebody that doesn't live in this belt okay. so to speak mm-hmm. of uh either either further south or further north there is a belt in florida mm-hmm. where there are a lot of weird fish oh yeah and a lot of weird snakes and a mm-hmm. lot of weird lizards mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff that doesn't belong there right like the clown knife fish yeah i mean honestly i mean it seems like a really cool fish to catch and it's challenging and you're mm-hmm. it, it, it occupies a lot of your thought yeah but it really isn't supposed to be there. Correct. Right? It's not a not a native species. It's not a native species. No, Snakehead, I was peacock, go, bass, yes. mm-hmm. uh, probably tons more. Well, Tilapia, F- cichlids. FWC uh, stocked the peacock bass because of the Mayan cichlid population and also the tilapia. Um, and they're they're in the cichlid family. They're very aggressive and and. Um, more aggressive than a largemouth bass, sure. as well. Uh, in a, in I kept a, cichlids in the tank too, and, yeah, they and are you super know aggressive. how aggressive they oh, are. Super yeah. aggressive. So, um, yeah, clown knife though they don't belong here. The uh, snakehead don't belong here, and I'm glad you mentioned that actually because the snakehead. It, it, there's a lot of mystery about snakeheads and a lot of negative things about the snakehead. Uh, unlike the northern snakehead, which is very uh, abrasive to the environment, and they are spreading. But the bullseye snakehead, it is absolutely a wonderful fighter. Hmm. And they are not, and they can coexist with largemouth bass and peacock bass. So everybody says, oh, you got to kill it right away, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm sorry. It's a wonderful fishery. I love catching those things. It, it's, they tug topwater frogs like nobody's business. Hmm. Very cool. So I guess the, the issue there, if I'm understanding you correctly, there's two snakeheads. The issue with the northern one is it's probably, I think, getting into the spawning beds, eating the eating the eggs, or disrupting the yes. spawning beds in some way, shape, or form, either yes. by trying to make its own or inhabiting the the deal, or somehow messing it up so mm-hmm. that the the native fish isn't able to spawn as successfully as it would be if that thing wasn't there. That's so correct. The idea would be to get those out of there so the native fish can go back to. That's being correct. the native yes. fish. Mm-hmm. So I've always found it kind of interesting that here in in this area, it is just like like a like an amusement park. Like, like <laughs> there, <laughs> there's everything going on and the wilder, crazier, bigger thing, you know, everybody seems to be happy about it. But I just kind of have wondered, you know, it seems like that's really cool that you can catch peacock bass and now there's now these clown knives are showing up and and all of these other fish and weirder fish Tom, and pakus. He, he, oh yeah, like, I mean they call it fishing capital of the world. Well, I, I don't doubt it. It's wonderful. It, it is wonderful, <laughs> yeah. but I just wonder, does it ever create problems or is it just a free for all? 
Uh, do the native fish make it? Or I mean, look, I like catching big dumb fish as much as anybody else. And and that the Paku that I see, mm-hmm. that sound that looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> fish was on my list right. long before I saw it caught in, in right. Florida. Mm-hmm. And it would save me thousands of dollars to be able to catch one yeah. here rather than to go somewhere else. So don't get same, me wrong. Same thing with the peacock bass. I mean, I have friends, you know, and they said, oh my God, is that a peacock bass? Where in the Amazon did you fish? Alberto was like, uh, here in Florida. Right. You know, I was like, what? I was like, yeah, they're in Florida. In fact, after FWC, they stocked it. You know, it's a very prolific, a very wonderful fish. Uh, certain part, I mean, they're very regional. They don't, they, they're in the Miami base area, or the, you know, even either that entire stretch is all about the water temperature. You know, anywhere from like the 70 to 75, they can live. If, it's, if it drops down to 60, they're all going to die. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know a little bit about the history of the peacock bass. They, yes, do, they yeah. introduced them because there was another problem species. Yes. What was the other problem? That was species? the tilapia and the, the tilapia. Mayan and the Mayans, the Mayan cichlids. Mayan cichlids. Their fish. Uh, I would encourage uh, if you're going fishing, take them out of there because I've seen literally they they take beds from other largemouth bass. They're very very aggressive fish, you know. So it's uh, even a much smaller one. Can yeah. be very aggressive, so aggressive that the, that the larger largemouth bass may not even want to eat it. That is correct. It's so aggressive, right? Yeah. And the same thing with the snakehead. Now, the snakehead. Uh, what the more I noticed firsthand, um, the snake, the northern snakehead, uh, from what I understand, they spawn at least four times a year. Wow. Think about that. Wow. And that's that's a, why that can be a really big problem. It's becoming a problem, but it's a good problem. I like to think they're you wonderful think? fit. Yeah. Well, what if it, what if stay. it, what if it takes yeah. away the the native fish? It's inevitable that's going to happen. The the, the northern is going to uh, expand. It's going to hurt. And I, I I've seen it, and I've talked to a lot of local folks out there, and they said, yeah, they I mean they don't have anything good to say. But the great thing about it is that there's a there's a new cult uh, fishermen, and they're all about using topwater frogs chasing after snakeheads. Hmm. And I and I'll give you a note on this: they are a wonderful tasting fish. But there's a huge, everybody says, oh, did you kill that fish? Because that tastes great. You have to be careful what water they come from. If it's inhabitably near a, a very toxic, polluted water, I strongly encourage you not to do that. Mm. Yeah. So, the you know, it's always been a, a little bit of a dilemma, like up in the Tennessee area, where mm-hmm. the native fish is a brook trout. Right. And... They're not there. Yeah, they get. They're not there. Seven inches long. Yeah, I love brook right? trout. I mean, they're, yeah. yeah, they're beautiful fish. Yeah. seven to ten inches long. A twelve mm-hmm. inch would be a really big one. Mm-hmm. And so you go to these beautiful little rhododendron streams, and you can throw a ten car rod or some right. kind of little one weight or two weight, and, and they're very aggressive. They come up and eat, but they're they're literally the size of your hand mm-hmm. and they're beautiful they're beautiful the like dots that. and the orange and oh my god and so yeah you know man in his infinite wisdom decides that god it's a beautiful stream it'd be awesome if there's some big fish in here and so they introduce the rainbow or they introduce mm-hmm. the brown the brown is the one that's gonna have to be careful with right and so it's cool like now there's rainbows browns and and brook trout mm-hmm. and on occasion maybe you get a tiger trout kind of Mm-hmm. happening somehow right and so many anglers are super happy about that like oh 
Well, now I'm fishing the same stream in that place where I thought there'd be a big fish. Mm -hmm. Instead of a 12-inch brook trout, there's a 25-inch brown trout. And this is really awesome, and it's mm -hmm. world-class fishery now. Right, right. But is it? Because, I mean, this is the question that, like, the Trout Unlimited people have. is like, well, those rainbows and browns, do they really have a place in the stream? And so, and this is in a national park? Hmm. And what's the status here? And so, on occasion, there's there's been efforts to eliminate the browns and rainbows and take it back to a native brook trout stream and and making sure that the brook trout that are there if there's any stocking are back to the original strain which are even smaller than mm -hmm. like and so you have some anglers that want that to go that direction some other anglers that are like what are you guys kidding who wants to catch six inch brook trout all day like let's catch 25 inch brown trout like okay i get that too I understand. Yeah. But it's a it's an interesting question and an interesting kind of ethical dilemma of which is right and which is the way to go. What do you, I mean and so I wonder about Florida like this and anglers like yourself like is that ever a dilemma or are no. you just like the bigger the better the meaner the bigger teeth the more aggressive awesome and, and then the, um, the snook right. are not around anymore then the yeah. snook just aren't tough enough to live here mm -hmm. there's uh, you know I, i'm an opportunistic fisherman let's just put it that way uh whenever there's a place there's a bite of some sort as long as it keeps me bending the rod and having fun that's all that matters yeah. at, at least that's my point of view well and and i would imagine that even if that was a a, a stance that someone wanted to take just like the python, right? right? The python has gotten loose in the Everglades and the stance is, I mean, it's a lot easier to not like a 20-foot python than it is to not like a snakehead, <laughs> if you ask me. I don't like a 20-foot python. No. And it wouldn't have, I wouldn't no. have any problem with them not being there. Correct. <laughs> so there is an effort to pull those out. Boa constrictors, pythons, weird snakes. There's probably well, freaking black it, mambas it, up there. It, it, becomes, somebody... it becomes an issue when somebody's life could be endangered. Right. Do they belong in there? We're human, we're people, and we have to protect ourselves. And when you go into it in the wild, something that could potentially kill you, they're stricter. Uh, I'd rather get them out of there. Mm -hmm. Safety becomes an issue. Mm -hmm. So there are those there are those efforts. So, but even if you decided that you were going to take the stance of let's return, you know, the Tamiami Trail to its native habitat of tarpon snook and largemouth bass and mm -hmm. bluegill and well let me put it this way tom if you decide to one day get rid of all the peacock bass get rid of all the snakeheads get rid of all the wonderful other clown knives and everything else and paku if you will i probably would not be living here in florida mm. yeah you're going where the fish are yeah yeah but i was just thinking that it would just be such a monumental task that it may be it may be long past the the ability to ever see that happen, even if it was an issue. Like, I'm not saying that it is. I just think it's an interesting question. Uh, it's uh, a very valid question. Um, I mean, just put it this way. The world is changing. Population is changing. Technology is changing. Even fishing technology is fishing. Sometimes I feel sorry for these fish. They don't stand a chance. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. Looking about the bray lines, looking at fluorocarbon, you have reels with unbelievable drag, you have sensitive rods that is, you know, if, if a fish sneezes, you know that there's a fish there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's all great. And one thing we have to learn though is we, we have to be better educated 
uh, I mean, it's our sport. And people need to maximize it, enjoy it to the fullest. But then there's an underlying saying, be conservative, be respectful. That's what the fish and the people, social media guys out there who try to, you know, uh, bully any, any other, don't do that. Because it, it makes them look bad. It's very transparent, you know, and take the high road. Be the best person you can be and essentially, you know, go out there and fish. That's, what, that's why we're here, aren't mm -hmm. we? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, off the subject, how mm -hmm. did you learn how to do all the sushi that you do? Paying my way through college, I work at a five-star Japanese restaurant. There it is. There it is. I knew there was some training <laughs> in there somewhere. You mo you post the most beautiful I appreciate that. sushi shots. And I'm like, okay, this guy's super analytical. I get it. He probably, you know, is also amazing at math and super detail-oriented in everything that you do, including cooking. Like, when I see that, I'm like, I mean, I just see the way you fish and the way you talk and the way people talk about you. And I'm like, this guy probably just couldn't make a bowl of macaroni and cheese. It's probably <laughs> going to be like, you know, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be an art form. I have an art background and, and, and it, it's passion. You know, no matter what you do in life, sometimes, you know, and I'll, I'll all right, Tom, I'm going to give you something, something that is very personal. Okay. And, 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 and people need to understand and, and take it however you want to take it. I actually died. I died in a car accident in Manhattan, working on a, on, on a lure company, creating things. And it was raining. Somebody was crossing a highway. I swirled away. I nicked him. He went through the windshield. Thank God he lived. But I died for a few minutes. I saw my life flash. Whatever they say, that it, there is a light, there is a light. I saw my mom carrying me. I saw my brother enjoying fishing. It's a flash of life right before you. I saw black and I literally saw me. I was floating up in the air. I saw my head down. I was gone until someone went black. Medic was there. said, I got a pulse. He's alive. I said, hey guys, what's up? What's happening? He goes, you're alive? And rushed me to the hospital. But I saw, and not to make this dramatic, I see life differently. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine so. How did that change your outlook on life? Better respect for people, enjoy what you can, appreciate what you can, and try to make people happy. I mean, people say, oh my God, uh, Alberta just catching big fish just to show off. No, I'm promoting the sport. Did people that are close to you notice a difference in you yeah. after that? Yeah. There was a different, there was a man before and a man after. I am, when I say calculating, I am more reserved. Reserved because it, it, you see people intentions the good and the bad, and you sort of pick up very quickly, but you respect them and just keep on doing what you can do to sort of like better yourself, be more happy. And if you can take people fishing, or it's not, not just fishing, it's people who make it, you know, I mean, if you look at the things that I do, take people fishing, I capture people's smile. Think about that. Well, that's what's important to you, and yeah. you're using fishing as a tool to get there. Yeah. I mean, that's what I see. I mean, I'm sure that you also use sushi as a tool to get there. You're it able, is. You probably is. invite friends I over. Do. You oh show them God. this beautiful thing. They yeah. smile. It makes you happy. Not only that, because I know they have the passion. They want to know how to do that. Right. And it's so simple. <laughs> it's, not, it's not about, you know, oh, you got to, oh, this is, you know, 
difficult. You got to make special rice, and the, no, it's very. It, I can it, make the rice. I want to learn come how to on, make no, a rose Tom, out Tom, of a radish. Not, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, the rice is the key to any sushi. You do realize that, right? Well, okay. So that's the fundamentals, mm-hmm. and everybody looks at the rose out of a radish, <laughs> and it's like, now that's cool, but. For what what it's it's very interesting because I just read a book about about all of what we're kind of talking about in this it was it was called uh, Pound the Stone and in it this character is a basketball player and his mentor is kind of a a, a Michael Jordan type character ex NBA legend mm-hmm. and he hands this kid a workout and it's just the the kid looks at it and he's like. Phew didn't work out we did this in third grade like this is the this is the fundamentals right. like what's i'm not doing it and then of course as it as the story progresses he understands the value of this and he understands that the fundamentals are everything and it's interesting that you're using the sushi analogy probably for other things in your life but the rice is everything Yes. Right? The rice is everything. You could actually, there's an art to making rice that you could have different kind of density. Sometimes you could do, uh, you know, they call it sticky rice. Mm-hmm. You know, the level of stickiness depends on what type of uh, meat that you could put in certain species of, of, of uh, fish, you know, whether it's a snapper or, or you know, um, like striped bass, whether you, you know, or, or something is hard, something, and it takes, t- you have to know, I mean, I get deep into things, yeah, <laughs> as you probably um, see, and, 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 and everything has its it, 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 premium or, 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 or magical, you know, feel, magical fish, you know, I try to finite that, and, and you know, in advertising, you know, if it looks good, you, people eat with their eyes first, and the second question is, somebody would have to say, well, come on, Alberto, it looks good, but does it taste good? I work on the palate as well, you know, it, 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 and, and the greatest thing of all, you could be as creative, but there are rules that you cannot be break. That you cannot break. A bad sushi rice is one. <laughs> Ron fish. Uh, oh my God, Ron <laughs> fish. Yes, and uh, avoid any freshwater fish. That's a no no. Uh, and when in doubt, you freeze that fish. Uh. And there's things that you can do to to increase the taste, uh, your palate. You know. And if you don't like the person, you load them up with wasabi. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But, you know, but yeah, it's, yeah, I I love sushi. How long did you do that? Five years. And uh, the owner, I mean, here's the thing. The owner, Tony, he would hire the best of the best Japanese chefs for a month at that restaurant. And the clientele is one of those hush-hush clientele. I've took a peek out there, and then certainly I see Barbara Streisand. I see Warren Beatty at that time. I see uh, Sylvester Stallone, big limos out there. But it's like it's a place where they can respect and and, and eat great food. Mm. And when I watched all those master chefs cook, and they took a great liking on me, and they started showing me little dirty tricks, you know. And I'm I'm, I'm a I'm a fairly good student, if you will, because I'm, I pick up on things and I want to know more. And the things that they show me is more, you know, it's traditional. Then I break because they said, you know, sushi is an art and you could present it however. And that's everyone has their own flair. So if you notice certain chefs, master chef, if you will, they have a certain touch. 
mine is I, I just love to make things pretty and taste good and share it with friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, you know, as long as, because it's a lot of people don't know what is sushi and it's, ooh, I don't eat raw fish or I don't eat bait. Right. <laughs> you know, right. but this is presenting something that let them experience it first. And then, and you know, going to a sushi restaurant every night could cost a pretty penny. Sure. So the idea as for fishermen, if you will, you make great stuff and it's that easy. Yeah. Did you ever see that Netflix documentary, Dreams of Nero? Nero, a uh, hero. Nero. Nero. Oh my God, absolutely. It, the sushi in the, in, yes. the, in the subway station? Yes. I just love that documentary. Not and only so that. so many people that I know recommend that documentary. Hero. Um, hero. Yes. Hero Dreams of Sushi. Yes. That's it. That man, I've watched him. Uh, I, I, I know which of, of the video. I've watched him actually, how he takes care of the meat. How he goes out to the market, very selective. That's a passion. That's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. It's not he aging is like people say. Oh, are you going to ever retire? The answer is, you know, if you're retired and and not follow a passion, you're good as dead. Yeah, I believe it. You know, I but, believe it. But but retirement, I mean, I don't even that word doesn't even register if if. I don't even, I don't even really understand it because if I all of a sudden decided I'm not going to do the TV show anymore, I'm not going to do the podcast anymore, I'm not going to, I'm not right. going to fish and never touch a fishing rod again. What, then what is your purpose? Okay. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm sure I could find another purpose, but I would be a hundred percent on that other purpose immediately. Yeah. It would be like, oh, well now I have all the time to, you know, start this gym that I've always wanted to start or mm-hmm. I've all, I, now I have all the time to do the things that I've have never been able to do like not play golf right nothing nothing wrong with that i I like golf but it's just a four-letter word (laughs) (laughs) so is fish Um, (laughs) but you know i would just think that if if i wasn't doing what i'm doing i would be just as passionate about something else yeah but the key word is are you going to be happy well maybe i mean i enjoy the journey as much as I enjoy. Exactly. The journey is it, it's critical. But for me, you know, it's like I said earlier, you know, I, I kind of feel that it is my calling. I'm happy about it. And I'm excited because I want to do it. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. I want to share the passion because it's, I'm having fun. I'm, I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Uh, yes, a road of success at the same token, a road of sacrifice. You know, it's a life. And living the, the life that I live, living and dying, and living and seeing, the question is, what is your purpose? And my purpose is just, I'm, I don't belong here. I'm, I'm not here, I, but I came back. And it, it sounds ridiculous, sounds stupid, or that's my life. That doesn't sound silly. It doesn't yeah. sound ridiculous. It doesn't sound stupid. And it's reflected in, in everything that you do. And I Whether you know that. that or not, other people see that. And, and the story of you dying is, it only is justification for what is already really obvious that you are very passionate about what you do you care deeply for others and you you have something that you're into or well, you you have mm-hmm. you're, you're not a lot of people say i'm just a fisherman i'm just you're not just anything you're a sushi chef you're a fisherman you're a guide you're a philosopher and, you're all kinds of things and and, and i'm a dad people right. don't know and that and, and, okay. you know, and, and you know i keep this personal things into privacy. I'm from old school. There's certain things that people that knows you. I have a daughter, a young daughter. I, I, she is my rock. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at my phone, I'll show you. 
90% of it, I'm fishing, her fishing, and, and the smile and the joy and her swim class, her dance class, taking her to school. I mean, that's my private thing. Yeah. But what I convey and like this fishing and my sushi, that's part of me. But then there's a private part, which I, hello, I just shared it with you guys, but um, that's, you know, and everybody should have that. Yeah. You know, a private moment, you know, but. But in general, conveying a message that fishing is really good for you, is great for your health, great for the outdoors, return, payback, celebrate our fishery. If there's even garbage, my God, I mean, let's, let's talk about garbage. I land fish. I see the kind of dirt and, and by fishermen, no less. It's like, oh, somebody's been fishing. Oh, he's been using this brand. I see. Wow. Let me try this. <laughs> but come on, guys. I mean, if you're going to be fishing, respect the land that you're fishing. Land-based fishermen, surf anglers, pick up the junk. That, you know, especially I, I extreme fish in middle of the nights. I, I, you know, I, I fish Montauk. What is Montauk? Everybody's the land, oh, surf casting capital of the world. It's dangerous. Uh, I was the guy who put on a wetsuit. You see 200 yards, you see one boulder out there. You calculate the time, you swim out there, and you fish that window and swim back. <laughs> And I mean, you see that broken tooth here? Yeah. That's because of Montauk. I fell on my face and broke it. I won't fix it. That's a reminder. It's a reminder, but, but you know, and, and, I mean, we talked a lot about these, uh, a lot of issues here, but seriously, I mean, garbage, come on. We need to keep it clean. Yeah. That's the easiest. It At is least the don't easiest contribute part. to more. Yeah. And how know? do we know it's fishermen? It's like, oh, I didn't do that. No, come on, stop it. Right. You know, it's fishing stuff. Look at the braid line. I mean, this braid line. Look at fluorocarbon for, for peace sake. You know, yeah, it's expensive, but you can get killed and look at the animals. And I'm not trying to be this world peace kind of guy, but it's evident. It's mm -hmm. there. You know, they, what, do, what do you want to do? Do you want to shut the park down so you can't fish? Right. That's no good. Uh, so you can sneak out and see no trespassing. You're going to do it anyway. I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, my friend. That's... uh. That's amazing. The stories that you told us and just how open you were for sharing. I really appreciate yeah. no, it. No, I appreciate it. No, and, and you have no idea. I watch your show. But you and Rich do through the fishing community and how you articulate, express the process, the trials, tribulations, the misses, what I'm going to do, I'm planning. You know, and that is literally the experience, the adventure. People need to know that. It's not about catching. No. Catching is the final confirmation. And then if you catch it, you'd want to duplicate it and you have to go through the process. And that's fun. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, I, I like the process. I always have for, mm -hmm. for everything. So and the process is you're going to be trying to chase after the clown knife. We're going to do it <laughs> nighttime. They're nocturnal fish, uh, uh, fish, you know, and people think, oh, you know, I'm just going to catch a daytime. Daytime is great for picture, but nighttime is where they really bite. They really chew at night. All right. I'll have to take yeah. a nap. We go that? to bed pretty early. Yeah, but he's overrated, though. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. All right, how do people find you? Go to uh, my Instagram, Crazy Alberto Nee, or just Alberto Nee. That's K N I E. Facebook, uh, you're going to find two pages I already maxed out, you know, but I have two pages, but look at it under Alberto Nee, like Alberto V05, but at K N I E. And on my second page, it's about, uh, you know, what I do more about our water clean water in florida conservation part of what's going on with the striped bass and from time to time i'll show you a nice picture a nice fish picture with a little hidden message 
but basically and also I appreciate like tactical anglers that's my company it's a product and please I support you know like St. Croix Rods wonderful family great products but it's every product is good but help me out pass the word share the fishing experience you know and uh that's what it is and, and, and thank you so much for, for having me oh you're me welcome here. man it's great I've yeah. been wanting to meet you for a long time and, Ditto here. and uh, it was not a disappointment I can assure you that you lived up to the to the to the lead up you're an animal you're a beast and you're thank also you. a very kind human being and thank I really, you so much yeah. I really appreciate it we'll we'll spend a lot more time together in I'm the looking future. forward to it thank you alright Alberto see ya see ya <laughs>